The choice is stark. Save lives or save the profits of Big Pharma by protecting their, quote, intellectual property, close quote, over coronavirus vaccines. Meanwhile, inequality deepens despite the ongoing vaccination drive in the United States. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. Deepening unemployment, a looming wave of evictions, massive and widening inequality. There's no denying it. Capitalism is in crisis and capitalism is the crisis. We are excited to have Professor Richard Wolf again join us for our regular weekly segment where we talk about the biggest stories related to the economy, the state of the working class and the crimes of big business. The Socialist Program brings you content three days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and we encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to this show. Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work and the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. You can check out his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolff.com. Professor Wolf, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. Glad to be here. Well, we're very glad to have you. I was not startled, but certainly, I don't know. I was upset when I opened the Washington Post this morning. I live in Washington. The lead editorial, the thing that concerns the Washington Post editorial team opinion writers the most, apparently, is that people in developing countries might have access to the vaccine for COVID if patents, if intellectual property rights are lifted. Here's the editorial headline. A patent-free people's vaccine, people's vaccine is in quotes for the snark, a patent-free people's vaccine is not the best way to help poor countries. Well, that you know, begs the question, what will help them, given the fact that so many people are not vaccinated? Well, here's the opening sentence, Professor Wolf. The worsening global pandemic with the virus surging not only in India, but also in Brazil, Turkey, Iran, Argentina, and elsewhere has stirred outrage over the lack of vaccines in the developing world. Rich countries are inoculating millions of people while poor countries wait in agony and anxiety. This has given fresh impetus to demands that patent protection be temporarily stripped from vaccines to deliver everyone a free, quote, people's vaccine, close quote. And then here you go. Here's the kicker. The goal is noble, but the demand is more slogan than solution. What the world needs are political leaders prepared to make hard emergency decisions to stop viral transmission, such as immediate lockdowns and renewed leadership from the United States and other rich nations to help accelerate global vaccine production and sharing 
which will save lives later. Better than the people's vaccine are doses of vaccines that are proven safe and efficacious against the virus and capable of protecting against the growing list of variants. And then here's the final sentence. This week, renewed attention is focused on an effort spearheaded by India and South Africa and supported by more than 50 nations as well as non-governmental organizations and a large group of Democrats in Congress to waive World Trade Organization protections on intellectual property in hopes of disseminating vaccine technology more widely. And then the rest of the editorial trashes this idea, says, no, that's not what people in India and Brazil and South Africa need. They need stronger leaders to do, mm, I don't know, locking them down. Anyway, it's an amazing editorial, but it shows that there is a debate going on in Washington and even inside the Biden administration. The editorial says as much about whether Biden should move in this direction. Anyway, your thoughts? Yes, well, this is a very old problem. And I think it's a problem in economics, but it is at the same time a problem in uh, ethics and morality. Either you follow the ethical and morality teachings of most of the world's religions and most of the world's secular commitments to morality, and you help people in need. People who are sick with COVID or at risk of COVID are clearly people in need. And the West, the United States in particular, is possessed of the resources and already the produced vaccines to help these people in need. And the only reason, let me stress this to everybody, the only reason that the vaccine is not being administered in Asia, Africa, Latin America, or large portions of those areas, the way it could be and should be, is because pharmaceutical companies and their drive to profits have been able to prevent it. The sharing of the information of how to produce a virus could have and should have been done months ago. That would have enabled producers around the world to go ahead and do it and produce the vaccines to make them available to the people of this world. It was the taxpayers in the West, in places like the United States and Europe, who provided the subsidies to pharmaceutical companies to make the production of these vaccines already profitable for them because a good part of the cost was picked up by the public, but they want more profits and they're going to hold the world's people hostage until they get those profits. That lofty talk you just read about that there should be political leadership, you know what that means? It means they want the politicians to buy and to subsidize the production of more vaccines around the world by honoring their patents, by making the producers pay the pharmaceutical companies who own the patents. They want local politicians to use taxpayer money in those countries to subsidize American corporations by paying top dollar for the vaccine. It's outrageous. It's immoral. It should make there be a debate because if you have any shred of caring for other people, of wishing that they would care for you if the roles were reversed and history shows us they will be sooner or later, then it is even in your own self-interest not to permit 
the tiny number of corporations owning the patents on these formulas for making vaccines to withhold them. And in the name of intellectual property, that's just a fancy way of saying, if you don't pay us what we want to make the kinds of profits we pharmaceutical companies are used to, well, then you can die of COVID and we will not show the slightest remorse. It's an ugly spectacle and it's not changed by papering over holding people's lives hostage by lofty statements about political leadership. It's just this side of disgusting. When you think of how development happens, how innovation happens, how inventions happen, they're attributed, in, especially in a, in a class society or a private property-dominated society, as the, the achievements of some person who then has control over the way the product is distributed, and also that person or entity becomes the recipients of the profit from the sale of goods or services related to that particular invention or technology, however we want to describe it. But when we think how things actually are created, no individual actually invents something by themselves because all of the elements for not only the intellectual side of a new creation, but all of the material elements that are necessary for the experiment to even take place or experiments whereby through a process, something new is created. All of that is actually social. It's collective. It's socialist in that sense. I mean, the actual way that we live in society and do business, it's all social except in the case of intellectual property, it's privately owned. Yeah, there are two things here that have to be kept in mind. The first is the point you make absolutely right. All inventions, and by the way, the honest scientist will tell you this, the ability of this man or this woman to make the experiment that figures out the vaccine, that is the last step in a very long series of steps there were all the people who taught this scientists everything he or she knows, all the other people who are making experiments right now that this scientist learns about by reading journals, by going to conferences, and the people who organize those journals and produce those conferences, they are playing their role, as are the news media that distribute word of important developments in other countries that the scientist in question uses. It's a million things that made those discoveries of a vaccine possible. It wouldn't have happened without all of those other things. But none of them gets a piece of the profit to be made by jacking up the price of whatever the vaccine is. Only the last one in the process. It's as if you had a flood. And you know, when you have a flood, all the people that line up at one end of the chain of people handing the sandbag to the next one, and you give a big reward to the, the last man or woman who got the last sandbag before dumping it in the river. Well, that's crazy. All the people along the way, they did the equivalent of getting a bag and passing it to the next person. To give all the reward, the recognition, the financial gain to the last one in the operation, that is an astoundingly deaf and dumb kind of response. 
And in our society, that's the only reason we have it. Corporations are basically holding us all hostage. You give them a patent that allows them X years during which nobody can do what they did. Nobody can copy and use what they did, in this case a vaccine, without their permission, a permission that they can charge you wild amounts of money or you just don't get it. They want a piece of the action, a big piece, and they get it with a patent. They threaten us. That's what the pharmaceuticals do. Just read their own literature. They threaten us. You don't give us this inordinate, inappropriate, end-of-the-chain ton of money, or we won't work at it. We won't do our job. We won't develop drugs and other medications to deal with disease. It is the most bald-faced blackmail imaginable, and it's the norm in capitalism. That's why patents existed. Patents were a development of capitalist society. It was a way for the capitalist to say, I don't want to take a risk unless I get a really fat reward. And I don't care if it denies other people access to what I've figured out. Even though I got access to what my teachers had figured out, and they didn't require me to give them a fortune of money, but I'm going to require anybody else who uses what I did based on what I was taught to give me a lot of money, or else I'm not going to use what I was taught to do socially useful things. It says a lot about the people who behave this way, but it says even more about an economic system that enshrines this kind of blackmail in its laws. And nothing shows it more graphically than the fact that there are millions of people around the world right now as we speak getting sick or dying or both because they can't get a vaccine which we have the resources, and we've had them for months, to produce and to distribute. That is an extraordinary, and I'm not even going into the fact that among the people getting the vaccine that we have produced, the richest and the best connected get it first, and those down the chain in all societies, including the United States, are still waiting, are still wondering, are still flooded with information that makes it difficult to decide how to get it, where to get it, when to get it, etc., etc. It's extraordinary. The dysfunction of the capitalist system in meeting this crisis And if you allow me a small editorial addendum, one of the reasonable ways to measure any economic system is by asking how well does it feed the people who rely on it? How well does it clothe them? How well does it house them? But another one is how well does it protect and sustain the public health? The capitalist system has shown itself uniquely unqualified on a global basis to do that. Yes, it's done it here and there, where governments took the lead and basically told the private sectors what to do. The irony of the Washington Post editorial is that recommending lockdown in the third world forgets that most of the United States and Western Europe 
have had a very difficult time with this COVID because the business community blocked their politicians from doing the kinds of lockdowns that we can see now were crucial. The kinds of lockdowns that happened not just in communist China or Cuba or Vietnam, where they were successful, but in countries like Taiwan, New Zealand, and others that are not socialist or communist in any way, but that were able to have a powerful government locked down because the private sector either didn't have the power to stop it or was farsighted enough not to try. Richard, I'm so glad you put the problem here. The context here is of the dysfunctionality of this system is is organically connected to the inner laws of the capitalist system. It's easy to blame individuals. You know, Trump did so badly, minimized. It's easy to be focused on Trump, and he should be focused on, of course, he's responsible. Or, or say Joe Manchin, who is the Democrat who's blocking anything good happening for workers and poor people in his own state in West Virginia, whose state minimum wage now is eight twenty-five, and Manchin made sure to block it from increasing at all, not to just to 15, but anywhere. So it's easy to get angry at Trump or Manchin, and we should be angry at them. But I want to talk a little bit about sort of the, for the lack of a better term, the dialectical element of these inner laws, because they both restrain society, but also give rise to the need for radical social change. I'm, I'm looking at, this is a very famous passage, which many of our listeners may know about, but if they don't, they should read it. It's short. It's Karl Marx, 1859, A Contribution to the Critique of Political Economy, the preface. Read the preface, everybody. You'll get a lot from it. But I want to read a couple of sentences that speak directly to this issue and get your response, Richard. Marx writes, in the social production of their existence, men, let's say humans now, inevitably enter into definite relations which are independent of their will, namely relations of production appropriate to a given stage in the development of their material forces of production. The totality of these relations of production constitute the economic structure of society, the real foundation on which arises a legal and political superstructure and to which correspond definite forms of social consciousness. The mode of production of material life conditions the general process of social, political, and intellectual life. It is not the consciousness of humans that determines their existence, but their social existence that determines their consciousness. At a certain stage of development, the material productive forces of society come into conflict with the existing relations of production, or this merely expresses the same thing in legal terms, with the property relations within the framework of which they have operated before. From forms of development of the productive forces, these relations turn into their fetters, turn into their fetters. Then begins an era of social revolution. The changes in the economic foundation lead sooner or later to the transformation of the whole immense superstructure. The reason I think this, even though it seems long and written a long time ago, the reason I wanted to mention it is that when you think about companies, corporations, and governments facilitated, in this case, by media outlets, holding back the further production of vaccines at a time when millions are threatened with death, it would seem to me that so-called intellectual property 
which is really the property relations in society whereby the owner of the final step of the production process gets veto over who has access or doesn't have access and at what price for something humans need to live. That is a fetter. That seems to me, instead of facilitating, accelerating, or revolutionizing production, it's actually holding back the forces of production and gives rise to the need for radical changes and outcomes. Yes, I think, again, to go back to what I said at the beginning, if you take seriously the moral notion that we are all our brother's keepers, that we are all children of the same spiritual or material origin and cause, that we all children born into the world and try to navigate it and that we need to take care of and help each other, then you could not possibly endorse what the capitalist system and what the Washington Post is proposing here. You are then saying, I am not going to share a life-saving invention that I know about with people to save their lives. I'm not going to do it because making money off of this invention is more important to me than saving countless numbers of lives of totally innocent people. Now, I know you don't want to face in this country that you believe this way, because it is the cultural superstructure, as Marx wrote. It's what we've come to take as commonsensical, as routine. That's why people will say, well, you have to give them the patent because otherwise they wouldn't do it. Wow. You mean people trained as scientists who are on the verge of experiments that could save millions of people's lives wouldn't be satisfied with a profound thank you, with a little plaque they can hand in their office, with a nice handshake from the president? with a nice bonus at the end of the year. No, no, no. They have to be able to make billions by holding it back. Wow. What are you saying about human beings if the system they live in has made this way of thinking the cultural norm? That's what Marx was trying to say. If we don't like the failure to prepare for COVID, which this country displays. If we don't like the failure to cope with it, having already failed to prepare for it, and if we don't like now this way of distributing life-saving vaccine, there's a common cause for all of this, which is the system. That's capitalism. It's profit-driven production decisions. That's what capitalism is about. Look, I think I explained in a program months ago with you all that one of the reasons we didn't have the testing equipment, the masks, the ventilators, the ICU units, is not because we don't have the capacity to produce them in the United States. We do. We have the factories. We have the offices. We have the store. We have it all. But we leave it in the hands of private profiteers, companies, and they made the decision not to do it. They had more profitable things to do. They weren't going to make masks and produce them and store them in warehouses where they would have to be monitored and cleaned and protected and repaired and replaced for how many years till the next virus comes? Who knows? 
well, that was not profitable enough. That was too risky. So capitalists who could have produced them produced something else because it was more profitable. And that's what they're supposed to do in capitalism. That's what they learned how to do at the Master of Business Administration program they graduated from. They're doing what the system rewards, and they're not doing something, which is hand out these products and make sure they're available to their fellow citizens so we don't die at the rate we did over the last 12 months. They don't do that because that's not the way this system works. But there's an inference here. And that's Marx's quotation. That's why it's so famous and why it is quoted so often. A system that fails on something as basic as protecting public health is a system that has to go, that isn't performing the minimum standard of human communities when they decide what economic system they're going to live with. It is a profound reality that the more private the capitalist system, that is, the weaker the power of the government, the weaker the power of social concern and social morality, which governments by their very nature as the product of universal suffrage are more capable of than private capitalists, Only where the government was powerful, whether it was in the People's Republic of China or in New Zealand, otherwise quite different systems, but where the government had the power to respond to the social need, there was preparation and there was coping. And where that wasn't the case, led by places like the United States and the United Kingdom, the preparation was a disaster and the coping was a bigger disaster. And that's not going to be changed by this behavior with vaccines that are withheld from the mass of our fellow citizens to make more profit for a pharmaceutical industry that is already accomplishing and has been for years record profits even among its capitalist fellow industrial leaderships. Richard, people sometimes, well, not sometimes, frequently in the United States where people don't know what socialism is, there's a profound curiosity that's arisen in the last few years in the taboo, the Cold War taboo, the anti-communism that made even asking about socialism seem like a subversive act. As that political environment changes, people are interested in socialism because they don't like capitalism. They're looking for an alternative. We talked in our show yesterday with a working class guy in West Virginia who many of his friends or associates or co-workers are Trump supporters. And he said, oh, the people here hate capitalism. And people living in Washington, D.C. or New York might think, oh, but you voted for Trump. But both things can be true, in fact, because Trump is a con man and the demagogy and the Democrats seem to offer nothing or haven't before. So anyway, people have these notions of socialism that are very skewed, very caricatured, very stereotyped, and very negative, generally speaking. And I think it's important for people who want to learn about socialism to understand that when we talk about getting a new system or getting rid of the capitalist system, it doesn't mean we're getting rid of everything from capitalism. That in fact, Marx and the socialists who 
began the study of capitalism and were also at the same time socialists or who would have characterized themselves as scientific socialists, made the point that socialism, in fact, grows out of capitalism. It's not the complete opposite of capitalism. It grows out of it. Capitalism has improved the means of production. It's socialized the productive process, brought millions of people together, lowered the cost of the production of goods and services, done something that was obviously considered a step forward, economically speaking. And by getting rid of capitalism and replacing it with socialism, all we're really talking about, I mean, it's not all we're talking about, but the core element of we're talking about is the last person with the sandbag at the end of that chain, not having the ability to have private property over the chain or to derive all the profits that instead all the derivative benefits from the chain go to the entire chain, go to the entire population. That it's really, it's not about changing everything in capitalism. It's about changing the property relations. It's about ownership. Let's just talk about that as our last piece here today. The way I find it effective to make pretty much the point you did is to talk in the most general way about the enterprise. That's the place in our society, the factory, the office, the store, where we produce the goods and services upon which our society depends. That's our lives, the food we buy and eat, the clothes we wear, the home we live in, the transportation we rely on, the public health that we depend on. All of those things are the products the goods and services, if you like, that come out of our workplaces. And I'm going to use the word enterprise. Anyone who looks at an enterprise, factory, office, or store, can see instantaneously, if their eyes are open, the following landscape. Number one, a tiny minority at the top make all the key decisions. They are the owner of the business, uh, the family that started it, perhaps, or in, in the case of advanced capitalisms like the United States, it's the board of directors of the corporations who do the bulk of the business in our society. Boards of directors of American corporations, and this is true in the rest of the world, are very small. There may be 10 to 20 individuals sitting on the board of directors, and they're there because they are put there by the major shareholders. Roughly 10% of Americans own 85% of all the shares. Those are the 10% who elect the board of directors, those 10 to 20 people. Now let's look at this landscape of the workplace. The vast majority of the people in any workplace are the employees, the owner and the board of directors and so on. Those are the employers. And modern capitalism organizes the production of nearly everything in such a way that a small minority, they decide what to produce, what technology to use, where the production is going to happen, and what is done with the profits. Even though everybody there, the employees, are the ones who do the work, the bulk of it, who account for whatever profits are earned, who have to live with the outcome of whatever product they choose to make, who have to live with whatever technology is chosen, but they get to make none of the decisions. They don't decide or have any input in deciding what is produced or what technology is used. 
And at the end of the day of working in that factory, that office or store, they go home and they leave behind the product into which they have poured their mental and physical energy and creativity. You have excluded the vast majority of people from any power to shape their work lives or the products of their work lives. And that work is where most adults spend most of their lives. Five days a week, the best hours of those five days, they're at work. And you've arranged that work in the most undemocratic manner conceivable. The modern capitalist workplace is the opposite of a democracy. The majority of people are excluded from all the key decisions, have no input whatsoever. And the minority at the top, the board of directors, the owner, make all the decisions without being accountable in any way. Not only that, but the people at the top have the right to say to all the employees who work there, I don't like you, you're fired, and you don't have a job, and you don't have an income, and your family is immediately plunged into crisis, and let me tell you, you better behave right, or I'll dump you in that situation at the drop of a hat. What a system is this? My goodness, why would people accept to live in a system that tells them in school, in the media, at church, how the United States is, quote unquote, a great democracy. When the workplace you spend most of your adult life in is the exact opposite of a democracy. No votes by the employees for the employer. The only people who vote on the employer are the shareholders, the vast majority of which never set foot in the enterprise's workplaces. The irony is that capitalism, not just in the failure around COVID, but in its everyday mundane operations in the factories and offices and stores, is a repressive, undemocratic institution that long ago deserved the criticism it is now slowly getting. The real genius of American capitalism has been the ability, particularly over the last 75 years, to get the mass of people to be so unaware of the socialist critique, which, by the way, is as old as capitalism itself is, but to make Americans so uniquely unaware no exposure in church, no exposure at school, no exposure in the media, no exposure by politics, that yes, it is now a sad spectacle that like a hibernating bear, the American people are coming out of 75 years of ideological, there's no word that captures it all. Hibernation. Hibernation, they're escaping finally, like that groggy bear coming out of the cave. They're figuring out, oh my goodness, I'm a bear. And I spent an awful long time in a cold, wet cave, and I didn't have to, and I would be better off if I weren't required to. And why in the world is this happening? These questions are now being asked 
And I think it's a sign that this system is petering out. It can't do even the most basic things. So its ideological self-exoneration is falling on increasingly deaf ears. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The System is the Sickness When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. You can check out his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolff.com. You're listening to The Socialist Program. We will be back tomorrow. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. <laughs>